Some time ago, I gave you a copy of what I'm giving you right now. But tonight, I want to approach it from a different perspective. One of the most difficult things in the Christian life is you and I maintaining a proper attitude and image about ourselves and the Lord. Some people are so easily intimidated or offended and sometimes just don't feel like they're qualified. Now, I'll be honest with you. There's many a time that I have set up here on the platform and I see the people and I'm thinking to myself, Self, who do you think you are to get up there and tell them anything? What qualifies you? If you were not you and you were somebody else, would you come out to hear me? And that's scary. Because if I wasn't me, I don't know if I would come out on a regular basis to hear me. And I think, you know, you don't want to waste people's lives. You want them that when they come, they at least learn something. So we always try to teach something old and something new, trying to stir up your mind and try to get you to apply things. And you know that one of the most stressful jobs in the world has been a preacher. There's more people pr quitting the ministry than the other ministry. That's what they, they told me. Because they get what they call burnout. Because you're trying to get people to do something that you can't make them do. You can only try to motivate them. And then most people are not motivated. Oh, they are motivated to do what they want to do. But now you've got to try to get them motivated to do what God wants them to do. Have you ever heard of people that are getting older and they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks? What do you think that means? You know what it means. Because you're set in your ways. You've got habits. It's ingrained in you. It's part of your life. And remember this, a rut is nothing more than a grave that's open on both ends. And you slowly walk into it. So you need to be very, very careful about what you're doing with your life. So um, something to kind of give you a little um, levity, you know. Uh, this is something about politics. So let's just get this out of the way, all right? We'll get this out of the way. A man said this, if God wanted us to vote... He would have given us candidates. Uh, now there is a, a wise statement. The problem with most political jokes is they get elected. We hang the petty thieves and appoint the great ones to public office. If we got one-tenth of what was promised to us in these states of the Union speeches, there wouldn't be any inducement to go to heaven. Because when you listen to what they promise you, how they're going to produce a utopia, you'll have no more health problems, they're going to give you all the money you need, they're raising the rates of the, you know, the working wage, and nobody's going to be poor, and everything's going to be one of them. Nobody would want to go to heaven. Aren't you glad they're failures? They are succeeding. Politicians are the same all over. They promise to build a bridge even where there is no river. You know who said that? Nikita Khrushchev. He said that. Now, when I was a boy, I was told that anybody could become president. I'm beginning to believe it. 
Why pay money to have your family tree traced, go into politics, and your opponent will do it for you? They'll, if there's anything missing, they'll dig it up for you, I guarantee you. Kind of reminds me of this one woman. She became a, an archaeologist. Said she'd do anything to dig up a man. Did you, did you like that? Betty, yeah, you yeah, like that. Okay. Politicians are people who, when they see the light at the end of the tunnel, they go out and buy more tunnel. Politics is the gentle art of getting votes from the poor and campaign funds from the rich by promising to protect each from the other. I offer my opponent a bargain. If they will stop telling lies about us, I will stop telling the truth about them. I like that. I thought that was super. A politician is a fellow who will lay down your life for his country. I have come to the conclusion that politics is too serious a matter to be left to the politicians. Instead of giving a politician the keys to the city, it might be better to change the locks. There ought to be one day, just one day, when there is open season on congressmen. Will Rogers said that. And another man said, My biggest fear is not that I might fail, rather that I might succeed at something with no eternal value. Now here you and I are, and we're supposed to believe that we have value, and we have something worth living for, so that we have a good frame of mind, so that we can understand. So take your Bible, look in the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms chapter 8. Psalms chapter 8, and just very quickly, I just want to remind you of a verse here that's pretty good. When you consider the heavens and all that God has made and see His handiwork, and then you think to yourself, what is man that thou art mindful of him? See there in uh, chapter 8, notice there in verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hath crowned him with glory and honor. So Jesus Christ was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7. So we have a tremendous verse about the Son of God. But when you talk about man, have you ever been up in an airplane and realized just how small man is? And like this one guy, he, he made the statement. He looked out the airplane. He said, honey, look down there, look down there. Those people, they look like ants. She says, they are stupid. They, we haven't took off yet. But if people get so small, they look like little ants running all over the place. But one of these days, it's all going to be over. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Philippians and chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And you'll notice there in verse 3 and 5. There are times when we think so highly of ourselves. The Apostle Paul thought he was something at one time. He bragged about, look who I am and what I have done. I mean, I was a Pharisee. And so, above many my own age, I mean, I was, 
from my youth, I was so intelligent. I was so bright. I was their shining star. I was rising in the political realm of, of the Sanhedrin. Hey, I'm somebody. I've sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Look at me. I'm highly intellectual. And yet, in spite of who he was, and God says, I, I got some news for you. And this is what he learned in verse 3. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and get this statement, have no confidence in the flesh. Now, I know that we need to have a proper evaluation of ourselves. And so if you listen to what God, how he describes us in the Word of God, and you'll notice that in the very next statement on your notes, there is no value in trying to improve your own inward self-image in your own eyes. I am a sinner, deceitful, wicked, undone, lost, unrighteous, vile, and a liar. Now, how does that make you feel? That's not very good for your self-image. So, this is enough to give a man a bad image of himself. Now, you read Jeremiah 5 and 7, and you'll see a couple chapters there. How the heart is deceitful above all things, and the Bible even talks about, Cursed is the man who putteth his confidence or his trust in man. So we're just not to do it. But there is this thing about how do you improve your image. Well, best way to improve your image is to get a new one. And you know how you can get a new image of yourself? Is to have a new birth. So when you have a new birth, birth, you have a new birth in the image of God, created in His image, the new birth, without a sinful nature. So now you're supposed to see yourself the way God sees you. Now, in Philippians in chapter 4, while you're right there, look in verse 8. Learning how to think. And verse 8 says, finally, brethren. I like the way he says finally. And then he'll go on for another chapter. Usually when I say finally, I say Yankee. <laughs> that's it. That, that's it. I cut it. In verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. This is telling you how you're supposed to think. Because if you think right, you can live right. You don't think right, you can't live right. And the reason for telling you how to think here is so that you won't do what it says up there in verse 6. Now look in verse 7. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful or anxious for nothing. And the only way that can take place is not just with prayer, but on how you think. Because you're to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, how do I think? And God says, this is how you're supposed to think. Think on these things, and it can change your life. Because attitude is everything. Attitude means an awful lot. Your attitude determines your altitude. Remember, I had a whole sermon on that one time. Ten steps to proper thinking on how to think. And so you've got to stir up your remembrance. Otherwise, you'll let the old devil little by little, and he'll leave you nothing with two legs and an, uh, and an ear. And so you've got to learn how to think the way God wants you to. Now, I want you to look there in your notes. I am somebody. I am somebody. All right, now you tell me. What scripture would you use to talk to somebody who don't think they're much? I'm a nobody, I'm nothing. I am somebody. 
how would you use the Word of God and what scripture would you use to say, look what he says right here. I am somebody. How do you know you're somebody? How do you know you're something? What verse would you use? Or is there a verse that you could use that says something about your value? Nobody. Ephesians 2.10. Quote it or read it. All right, go ahead. For we are, go ahead and read it. Stand up and read it loud. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under his works, which God has before ordained in his law. Now, that is a good verse. I wasn't even thinking about that verse, but that's a good verse. That was better than the verse I was thinking about. But it's a verse that says you have been created by God for something. So you have a value to you. So when he says there, I am of great value, I am of great value. What value would you place upon? How much do you think you're worth? What verse in the Bible would say ye are more value than even the sparrows that fall to the earth? And your father knows everyone that falls, and you are valuable to God. Where is that verse found? Where's the verse found? You don't want to be just milk fed all the time, do you? You gotta think. Reason. Why? How in your own mind? What would you say? that says in the Bible, I have value. I got value. I'm worth something. Is there any verse in the Bible? Do you know of anything? It don't have to be that one in Matthew. It could be any verse. But something that you say, this is what helps me to know that I have value. Yes, Louis? I think John 3, 16, that is the verse I was going to have on the last one, but that's a good verse. How would you think John 3.16 proves to you you're valuable. What does John 3.16 say that makes you think you're worth something? Hmm? Yes. Yeah, right here. Yes. It says, for God so loved the world, and now he's in the world, and he gave his only begotten son. Yeah. All right, explain it to me. How does that show that you have value? Because if I didn't have value, you would have done it. If you didn't have value, he would not have died for you. There would have been no reason to. So you have value because he was willing to die for you. That's what makes you worth something. Anybody else got another verse? Yes. 1 Peter 1.19. 1 Peter 1.19. Verse 18 says, They're not redeemed with corruptible things. But verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, the Lamb, without blemish and without spot, what God paid for me with the precious blood of Christ. It's what was the value of the price that was paid. If somebody paid a great price for you, then you must be worth whatever it was somebody was willing to pay. I've had a chance to say, okay, like, I got a house that's worth $1,000. You you'll take it. <laughs> You would think that house is not worth very much. But if I had a house that was worth a million dollars, but if somebody only offered me $5,000, and that's all I took for it, then I got a $5,000 home. doesn't matter what the value of it is. It's what was you willing to take for it. Now, this is what Christ was willing to take for us. He paid, and I love that verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19, talking about the value of the precious blood of Christ. You are not redeemed with silver and gold and corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Very good. When he says, I, 
am greatly loved. I am greatly loved. There's verses in the Bible that talks about beloved, beloved. How do you become a beloved? By being loved. Let God love you. So where is a verse in the Bible that calls us the beloved? Beloved. Where is that verse found in the Bible? 1 John chapter, you got to find it. 4 and verse 11. 4 and verse 11, read it out loud. Beloved, if God so loved us, we we ought also to love one another. Very good. Now, I am a child of God. I'm a child of God. Therefore, I learn to think as a child of God. I should learn to think because I am a valuable individual in God. I am loved by God. Now, this is how God sees me. Because, you see, He saw me like this and was willing to pay a great price for me. So you are of great value. Think about it this way. There's not one person in the whole world God loves more than you. Think about it. Nobody in this world, God doesn't love anybody in this whole world more than He loves me. But He don't hate anybody more than them. But you see, He loves us. Now, Where does it say in the Bible, I am a child of God by faith? We are the children of God by faith. I want to know where is it found? Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Who got it and who can read it? Who's got it? Jan, you got it? Who has it? Yeah, go ahead, Lynn. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, by your faith, you became a child of God. All of God's children go to heaven. None of God's children ever go to hell. I had some people say, well, I don't see how God could send His children to hell. I said, He doesn't. He won't. None of God's children go to hell. Now, those who have not trusted Christ as Savior, they are not the children of God. So now look at the next statement here. Therefore I know. Therefore I know something. I know that my sins are all forgiven. But now tell me, where does it say? What verse would you use to say my sins are all forgiven? What verse would you turn to to prove that point? You're talking to somebody. And you make a statement. All my sins have been forgiven. They say, where does it say that? And you will say, you will say, and you won't say. And you, but you know it's in there somewhere, right? You know it's in the Bible somewhere. Colossians 2.14. All right, look in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. In your church Bible, it's on the left-hand page, left-hand column, halfway down. But look what he says in that verse. Are you looking at it? Colossians in chapter 2. Verse, verse 14. Read it out loud. Why do you have to write it? All right. Where is, what would you say over here? Verse 13 that says he's forgiven you all trespasses. Yes. And also, now, what about Acts 13? Any verse in Acts 13 that you might be able to use? Acts 13. Acts 13. It's on the right-hand page in the right-hand column. 38. Read it, Bob. He is known unto, unto you, therefore, men and brothers, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. 
that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Those are tremendous verses. But you need to know what they are because, see, that's a description of yourself. I am a forgiven man. All my sins have been forgiven. That ought to do something for your attitude. Do you know, when you do something wrong, it makes you feel guilty, don't it? Makes you feel ugly inside and maybe a little rotten. But did you know when you realize, God knows that I'm a sinner. Christ died for my sins. He's forgiven me of my sins. And therefore, I can claim what he did on the cross for me. And now as a child of God, remember, up to the time you trusted Christ to save you, you were not a child of God. Once you trust him, now as a child of God, God deals with you as the father, before as the judge. So the penalty has been paid, and now you're talking about your walk with the Lord, and now you've sinned against your father. So you've got to deal with your father. And we might sin against each other, so we have to ask each other to forgive us what we do against each other. It has nothing to do with the penalty of sin. That's been paid. He forgives us because it's been paid. All of sin's been paid. I am going to heaven. Here you are and you say, you know, I'm so glad I trusted Christ as my Savior and I know I'm going to heaven when I die. All right, somebody wants to see that verse that says, you're going to heaven when you die. What verse would you show them that says, I know that I'm going to heaven when I die? Go. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1 is a very good scripture because when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're saved from something to something to an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that a good verse? That is a good verse. Reserved in heaven for you. All right, give me another one. Give me another one. 1 John 5, 13, it doesn't say that you go into heaven. Heaven's not in that verse. Or it doesn't say anything about heaven in that verse. 1 John 5, 13 lets you know that you have eternal life. But the verse that you can show somebody, you know you're going to heaven. Yes, sir. I like John 14, 2 and 3. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. I know where his father's house is, by the way. <laughs> have you been there before? I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that there, where I am, there you would be also. All right, so that is a good verse that can be used to show that there is a place, not a state of mind, there is a place for us. Now, one time I was talking to um, Jehovah's Witness. And Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, well, they didn't want to go to heaven anyway. And they're just going to get into the kingdom. So when I says, well, about the kingdom upon the earth, you know, the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says that unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I says, they were the law keepers. You'd have to be better than them. I says, so the righteousness you still got to have, and you don't have it because it's not by your works. So anyway, I explained the gospel, but I didn't read them to the Lord. I like to say I led them to the Lord, but Jehovah's Witnesses are very difficult. They are ingrained, unless you get a hold of the one that's just learning. So I was talking to one. He says, you know, you can't, um, there's not a verse in the Bible that says that uh, we're going to go to heaven. And I says, oh, no verse, huh? That whenever we leave here, that we can go to heaven. They said, no, there's not. I said, take your Bible and let me show you something. And he had a Bible. It was the New World Translation. I used it anyway. I didn't have mine with me. And I told him, I said, now look at this over there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to look at it. 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 1. 
For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, what do you think that means? If this earthly house was dissolved, it's going to die. When this body dies, this is what he says, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, where? Eternal in the heavens. So, in this, this body, we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. He just said it was in heaven, and that I'm going to get it. And then look what he says down here in verse 8. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So, the Lord is in heaven. My house, I got another one there. I, it might be temporary until I get my new body glorified. I don't know. I'll let God figure out all the little details. But I know that I'm going to heaven, heaven when I die. All right. Look back at your notes here. I need not worry. I need not worry. What verse would you use not to worry? Not to worry. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. I had verse 7 down. Verse 6 is good. Read it for me. Stand up when you read. There you go. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, whatever request you may know another God. All right, go ahead and read that next verse also. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds to Christ Jesus. Now, that means pass all human understanding. You see, the world cannot give you the peace that God can give to you. And you don't have to worry. That's why he says, and care not about and be anxious for nothing. It means don't worry about things. Now, I know we have to be concerned about things here and there and so forth like that, but you don't have to worry like the world worries. We don't have to have sorrow like the world has sorrow. We can even grieve, but we don't have to grieve like the lost people grieve. But there's something that's special about God, and he says, I'll give you my peace, I'll give you my joy, which we talked about the other night. Now look at the next statement. I need not fear. I need not fear. Does God cause us to be afraid? God wants me to be afraid. Well, no. The Bible does talk about how that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But that's a different word that we're talking about that comes from God, is that God wants me to have a high, holy, reverential respect for God. I also know that if I don't serve God, I know that my Heavenly Father could do what to me? Chastise me. And I have a fear of being chastised because I don't know at what extreme it will be. So a little bit of that fear kind of makes me move away from the edges. Because I believe love is a stronger motive than fear. But God uses both motives in a person's life. God can guide you by love. And He can also guide you by fear.